Amen. Thank you, Addie, for your clear and uh, vibrant and passionate testimony. With great joy, you could just tell on her face, the joy of the Lord is her strength. And uh, thank you, worship team, for uh, doing what I cannot do, but uh, doing what I need you to do to allow me to see Christ high and lifted up. If I were to lead singing in this room this morning, my voice would fill the room, and you would leave to make room for it. I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those make a joyful noise unto the Lord people. But uh, anyways, it's great to have the privilege of uh, sharing from the Word of God this morning. Thank you, Dr. Reed, for the opportunity. And uh, would you just bow with me in prayer, and uh, we'll speak to the author of this incredible book before we study it together. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness uh, in all of our lives. Thank you for Addie's clear and vibrant testimony this morning. Uh, What a trophy and testimony of God's grace she is in front of all of us and to all of her family and her friends. Bless her richly, I pray. And then, Lord, be with all of our students. I pray especially for those who are struggling with illness right now, uh, those that are joining us online. Father, just pray that you would strengthen each one as they head towards the, uh, the finish line of this semester. Help them to finish and finish well for your honor and your glory. Bless all of our faculty and staff. Thank you for them and their investment in the hearts and lives of all of our students. And now, our Father, we have the privilege of spending some time together in your word, and I pray that by your Spirit... You would speak to our hearts, and we would have the desire as we leave, not merely to be hearers of the word, but as your word says, we are to put it into practice. So guide us by your spirit, we pray. We love you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. While competing in the marathon in Mexico City in 1968, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania cramped up due to the high altitude of Mexico City. Uh, He had not trained at such an altitude back in his home country. At the 19-kilometer point of the 42-kilometer race, there was jockeying for position between some runners, and John was hit. He fell, badly wounding his knee and actually dislocating his knee joint. Plus, his shoulder hit hard against the pavement. He, however, kept running. Imagine running with a dislocated knee. He ended up finishing last among the 57 competitors who finished the race. 75 of them had started. The winner of the marathon finished in 2 hours, 20 minutes, and 26 seconds. John finished in 3 hours, 25 minutes, 27 seconds, 65 minutes later than everybody else, than the winner of the race. There was only a few thousand people left in that large stadium, and the sun had already set. A television crew was sent out from the medal ceremony to uh, when word was received that there was one more runner who was about to finish. As he crossed the finish line, a cheer came from that small crowd. He was later interviewed on television, and he was asked, why did you continue running? He said this, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And he did finish. Going long, staying strong in our walk with the Lord. And that's my heart and passion for my own personal life and for all of you this morning, that we would stay strong and we would go long in our journey with Jesus. As I read John's story, automatically my mind went to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are those witnesses? All those who are listed in what I call the Hall of Fame of Faithful People in Hebrews chapter 11. All those people who've gone before us and set for us an example of what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. People who fix their eyes on Jesus 
and they ran with perseverance the race that had been marked out for them, and we are commanded to do the same. I believe as we look into God's Word this morning, as we consider living with that long look and with staying strong and going long, our desire should be to guard carefully four things in our personal lives. There's many things we should guard, but this morning in our time together, I want to share with you four things that we all need to guard. These are things I strive to guard in my personal life in order to finish and finish well as I journey with Jesus. Number one is this. We need to guard carefully our everyday walk or guard our ways. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrew, or Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and just verses 15 to 17. Listen to what Paul says here as we consider the need to guard our ways or guard our walk. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, he says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What are the words Paul starts these, uh, back in verse 15 with? Be very careful how you live. One translation says, walk circumspectly. Uh, probably not many of you used the word circumspectly in your vocabulary last week. Uh, it's an old English word. We don't use it much anymore. But it, that word, that translation really helps us understand the translation I read from where Paul says, be very careful how you live. Circumspectly is a compound word. Uh, the first half of the word is uh, circum. It's where we derive our English word for circumference. Now, are you smarter than a third grader this morning? Do you remember what circumference is in math class? It's the distance, what? Around the outside of a circle. So keep that in your mind. The second half of the word is the word spectally. It's where we derive our English word for spectacles. Today we call them eyeglasses. These eyeglasses, for me, since I was age four, help me to see clearly. When we arrived in Canada, when uh, we immigrated from England, as a four-year-old, about one week into our time here, I was taken into the hospital and had uh, delicate eye surgery done because this left eye was weak and it tended to wander. And it's still weak. I just got new prescription glasses last week, uh, and they helped me to do what? To see clearly. If I were to take these eyeglasses off right now, all of you would look incredibly fuzzy, but every one of you would have a good-looking twin sitting to my left and to your right. <laughs> it's fine in a setting like this. It's really good when you're counting attendance in church, but it's not so great when you're driving down the 401 during rush hour, and every, my eye tends to wander. But these eyeglasses, like for many of you, help me to see clearly. So what is Paul saying here about being very careful how you live? Before you make decisions in your everyday life, where you're going to go, what you're going to do, what you're going to watch, what you're going to read, how you're going to use the resources that God has blessed you with, every aspect of our lives, literally look all around you before you make those decisions. Take care in those decisions, even the little decisions. And Paul goes on to say here in our passage, which is very helpful, he says, not as unwise, but as wise. If you had a young person come to you and say, where do I find the wisdom of God for my daily life? Where would you point them? To the things of the world? I would hope you would say, go to the Word of God. Because it's in the Word of God that we find the wisdom of God for our daily lives. Then it's interesting, he goes on to say, therefore do not be foolish, but what understand what the Lord's will is. And I remember often as a youth, young adults pastor, students would come to me and say, you know, I want to know God's will for my life. And of course, what, what are they thinking at that point? They want to know the future. 
And my response would always be, in order for God to direct you towards the future, you've got to be willing to do what God has already told you to do. Where would you point them if they want to know the will of God? Well, I hope you'd also say, to the Word of God. Because it's in the Word of God we find the wisdom of God for our daily lives and where we find the will of God for our daily lives. I learned to drive on a, an old car. Uh, it was a 69 Plymouth Fury. If you look that up, it's a big boat of a car. And uh, it, it had no power steering. Many of you in this room have never experienced that. My parents also had a 1970 Chevy Impala. I preferred to drive that car because it had power steering. You could just do this. But they only let me drive the 69. And with that car, if you wanted to turn, you couldn't do this. It was hand over hand. Some of you older people, you remember that. And you had to be moving in a direction in order to turn those wheels. And it's exactly the same in our walk with the Lord. As we consider living our lives in such a way with, and we guard our daily walk, we've got to be willing to do and go in the direction that God's already taking us, which is in obedience to the truth of God's word. And then he can direct us. And I love the, uh, I believe it's in the Psalms where it says, the steps of good men, good women are ordered by the Lord. Don't worry what you're going to do with your life. Just be concerned about who you're going to be as a follower of Jesus. Our son came home one time from grade five, 10 years of age, came home from public school, and uh, he was in tears. And he said, we had a career day at our school today. And career days are great. You know, different people come in and talk about their various careers. But he said at the end of the day, they said to us, you really need to start really thinking and knowing about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. That's a lot of pressure for a 10-year-old. And he came home in tears, and he says, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. And we said to him, son, you don't have to worry about it. Just worry about who you're going to be as a follower of Jesus. And then what? The steps of good men, good women are ordered by the Lord. And you, as you consider your future, be very careful how you live. Uh, the value of the Word of God in your everyday life. One of my five core values for my personal life is to be saturated by the Word of God. And I strive to do that each and every day. To, to immerse myself in the truth of God's word. Make it a part of my everyday life. Allow God to speak to my heart and teach me. I don't do it perfectly every day, but that's something I strive for. I think of the value of the word of God in my life in this way. I call it the safety of the backyard fence. Uh, my family immigrated from England, as I mentioned, when I was four years of age. Uh, we lived in a little one-bedroom apartment in Brampton, Ontario for two years, and then my parents scraped together a $1,000 down payment for a $21,000 house that was being built, brand new little three-bedroom bungalow. Uh, we moved into that house, and it had a huge backyard. Those were the days where you had big lots, not like the little posted stamp lots that we have today. And it was a big backyard, especially at that point for a six-year-old and my older brother who was nine years of age. Mammoth backyard for us to play in. But the first thing my parents did in conjunction with the neighbors on either side was put six-foot fence all the way across the back of the three properties. Why did they do that? Well, our house backed on to Highway 7 that runs through that community, and they wanted to keep us safe. Then they put four-foot fences down the side with four-foot fences up to the side of the house with gates on either side. Those were the days people actually talked to their neighbors over the fence. Nowadays, what? Everybody, little lot, put up the highest fence you possibly can. So we had good relationship with our neighbors. And then our neighbor on one side, guess what they did? 
They put in an in-ground swimming pool. Don't you love it when your neighbor puts in the in-ground swimming pool and you have a good relationship with your neighbor? But not only did they have fencing all around the perimeter of their property like we did, they also had to put an additional fence around the perimeter of the pool with a gate and with a lock on the gate. What was the reason for all these fences? Was it to take away our fun as a six-year-old and a nine-year-old boy? No, it was to keep us safe. And as long as we played within the perimeter of the backyard fence, we had nothing to be concerned about. It's when a six-year-old boy tended to like going over the fence, believe it or not, that's when we got into trouble. And I view the Word of God that way for my personal life. When I think about the will of God and the wisdom of God, it's the safety of the backyard fence for my life. And as long as I live within the parameters of the wisdom of God and the will of God in my daily life, I have nothing to be concerned about. It's when we step outside of what God has laid down for us, that's when we get into trouble. That's when often we end up living with some consequences, sometimes short-term and sometimes long-term. God forgives us in his grace. Praise God for that. When we step outside of the parameters of his word, but often we have to live with consequences. I encourage you, as you think about your daily life, about going long, staying strong, guard your ways. Number two, we need to guard our words. Guard our words. There's so much in the word of God that speaks to us about the words that we speak. James chapter 3, the first 12 verses. Uh, read those for yourself. Jot them down. And read through those verses what it says about our tongues and, and the damage that the words that come out of our mouths can do. Go through the book of Proverbs in a month that has 31 days. And just go through and highlight in yellow all the verses that speak about our words, our vocabulary, our speech. There's a lot of wisdom that is there for us. And let me just read back in Ephesians chapter 4. First of all, in verse 25, Paul says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. Why? We are all members of one body. And then verse uh, 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then back in verse 15, Paul says this, speaking the truth in love. In James, we also read, uh, James 1.19, that we are commanded to what? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Someone once said, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We need to learn to use them in that proportion. Let me just touch on three things very quickly related to our words, why we need to guard our words. Number one, there's words of encouragement. This is desperately needed today than ever before. It's always been needed. But we live in a high-tech society, and you know you can do a lot with high-tech, but I would say to you more than ever before in a high-tech society, we need high touch in the hearts and lives of people. And it's fine to send a, you know, a word of thanks via an email or a text message or on Facebook Messenger. Those are good things to do. But I encourage you, uh, people who've invested in your life, both here as well as at home, take the opportunity at some point and just take a note card and write out in your own handwriting, hopefully legible, for them to just read those words of encouragement. Getting a note like that in the mail just goes a long way with people. And so I encourage you to do that. Words of encouragement that we can share with others. Words, number two, of discipline. Paul said, speak the truth in love. I believe we do one another a terrible disservice in the family of God. If when we see a brother or sister who's struggling in sin and we don't come alongside 
to speak God's truth into their lives. To, not our personal opinion about what they're doing, but what God says about it. The wisdom of God and the will of God. Now, we obviously need to do it how? As Paul says, in love. But we still need to do it. And Jesus certainly modeled this for us many times. The woman who was caught in adultery. You know, he dealt with her gracefully and lovingly, right? But what did he say to her after everybody left? He said, go and sin no more. He spoke truth into her life. Lovingly, but he spoke truth. The woman at the well, he spoke truth into her life. He brought up about her past as well as her personal experience right now. And he did it graciously and lovingly, but he spoke truth into her life. Now, obviously, it's very clear from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, before we come alongside a brother or sister in Christ, we need to do what? We've got to look in the mirror. Before we can do that delicate spiritual surgery of taking that speck of dust out of a brother or sister's eye, we have to look at ourselves and make sure that beam of wood coming out of our own face is dealt with, that we are right with the Lord. And then in, with a lot of prayer and out of relationship that we have, we come alongside and help a brother or sister who may be struggling in their sin. Rather than letting them go, and they end up living with some severe consequences in their lives. Remember, as a youth or young adult pastor, I, I did that often. <laughs> I had people come to me in my life over the years and speak truth into my life, and I am so grateful that they were willing to do so. And then lastly, words of direction to help instruct and lead those who are already doing what is right, to help them move further down the road in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And those are the wonderful conversations you can have. You already see someone who's growing and maturing in their faith, and you just simply come alongside because of the relationship you have, and you can help provide words of direction. I love 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Again, speaks to us of the value of the Word of God as we speak it for ourselves as well as in the lives of others. All Scripture is what? Given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. It's been what? So the man of God, teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So what? So the man of God may be, if you ever forget my surname, it's right there, thoroughly equipped for every good work. My surname is Thorogood, so it's right there in the Bible. Okay? The value of the Word of God in our everyday lives. Number three, to stay strong and go long, we also must guard our work. Dr. Reed challenged us from the Word of God last week related to our work. But let me touch on one area. First of all, let me read from 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 9. It says this, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves ought know how you ought to do what? Follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We were to offer ourselves as a... Because we didn't have the right to ask for such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. And then one of my favorite uh, two verses in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, it says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you. Why? So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anyone. Our example in the workplace is huge. 
for most of you in the room or online, your workplace right now is your schoolwork. (laughs) And that's an example. Just by the way you do that work and you work hard at it for the glory of God, that's an example, one, to your fellow students, but it's also an example to those who don't yet know Christ. And maybe you have a part-time job, whether here on campus or off campus. The way you do your work can be a huge example to those who need Jesus. Uh, In the summer, whatever God has in store for you next summer, by way of your work, wherever that is, do it all for the glory of God and recognize that God can use that in an incredible way to make a difference for Christ and impact the lives of those who do not yet know Jesus. To pay my way through Bible college, and certainly it was much less expensive than you pay today, um, my parents, who were unsaved, said, if you're going to go to that school, then you need to have all the money in the bank. My original dream from grade nine was to be an architect, University of Toronto for five years, and then be an architect. My parents were pretty happy about that. That's why they came to Canada, was for our future, for my brother and I. They left everything behind. And then God spoke to my heart at age 17 and says, Godfrey, I want you to help people. I didn't know what that meant, so I went and asked the interim pastor of my church at that point. He said two things. Number one, I think you should go to Bible college. He didn't give me any other choice. He just said, I think you should go to Central Baptist Seminary in Toronto. And then he said, have you been baptized? I said, no, nobody ever told me I was supposed to. I'd been a Christian for seven years. So he said, next Sunday, you're going to get baptized. By the way, in church, if you're you know, serving with people, uh, don't just assume people know everything about what they're supposed to do. So I showed up on that baptism Sunday. I didn't bring a towel. I didn't bring a bathing suit. Those are the days we wore the big gowns, you know, like the choir gowns into the baptism tank. Nobody told me. Now, they rounded up a towel, but they certainly couldn't round up a bathing suit. So I got baptized with my underwear on underneath that gown. And, of course, afterwards, I got to put those back on. So I wrung them out as tight as I could, and they were still damp, but I went back and sat in the service. I remember him saying and speaking to me about God's call. I didn't really fully understand that, but he said, God has spoken to your heart about this. And I wasn't sure how I was supposed to help people, but I knew I was supposed to follow the Lord's leading and go to Bible college. So my parents said, you got to make money. That first summer, right, out of high school, you only got two months. Well, every summer, God provided for me an incredible place to work. For two summers, I was a customs clerk for Canadian General Electric, And then for two summers, I was a sanitary engineer. I was a garbage man. People at church would ask me, hey, how'd your week go? I'd say, things were always picking up. (laughs) About 20 tons a day, actually, of garbage. (laughs) That's what I did. And I remember, especially when I was working at the works department as a a garbage man, uh, the first day I showed up was the first day all the summer students came. And uh, they hired a lot of extra employees during the summer, grass to cut and, you know, roads to fix and garbage to be picked up. Um, And they didn't actually call us the summer students. They called us the summer stooges because it gave them about a four-month break. See, the garbage man, instead, those were the days where you rode on the back of the truck. You know, some of you might not remember that. None of this is sitting in the truck and the arm comes out and lifts up the garbage. No, we had to get off the back of the truck, throw it in the truck. So they loved it because they just got to drive. We weren't licensed to drive those big trucks. It meant we did all the grunt work. For four months, they just got to drive the truck. When we left, they were very disappointed. But on the first day, they asked us all, where are you going to university or college? So there was University of Toronto, Sheridan College, and I said, Central Baptist Seminary. Well, they'd never had anybody at the works department who worked at Central Baptist or went to Central Baptist Seminary. They said, what is that, and what are you going to (laughs) do? So I told them it was a Bible college. I'm learning more about the Word of God, and I'm probably going to be a pastor or a missionary. 
So from that day forward, they didn't call me Godfrey. They called me Padre. That became my nickname at the works department. Uh, never used my name. And I realized, though, in that context, and they knew from day one who I was and where I stood, that that was my opportunity to witness to those individuals. And God gave me incredible opportunity. I like to play baseball. Uh, most of the men on the works department uh, played baseball, just slow pitch. And the works department and, you know, the firefighters and the police and uh, the ambulance drivers, the paramedics, uh, they would play in these tournaments uh, every summer for a number of weekends and just raise money for local charity. So I like to play baseball, so I joined the works department baseball team. We met after work four days a week for practice, and then on Saturdays we played in these tournaments. So I went to the first practice. It was great. Afterwards, all the coolers come out. You know what's in the coolers, right? But you know what they did that very first practice? And I didn't even ask them to do this. So I still wanted to stay. I wasn't, you know, I choose not to drink alcohol. That's a personal choice. So out comes all the beer, and guess what was in one of those coolers for Padre? Again, I didn't say anything. It was a can of Coca-Cola. They thought of me. And I appreciate that and respected that. We'd play in these tournaments on the weekends, and uh, you know, at lunchtime they'd have a barbecue. And the first tournament I'm playing in, guess what they asked Padre to do before they ate the food at the barbecue? I don't think they'd ever had anybody pray for the food before, but they just thought, he's here, this is just the right thing to do. So they asked me to pray for the food. (laughs) That blew me away. I can tell you this, though, because they did a lot of drinking throughout the day. If we made it to the championship game, I was the only guy in the outfield who knew where the ball was going. (laughs) I was whipping all over the place. (laughs) After I graduated from Central, uh, I served two years as a full-time intern in my home church there in Georgetown. And I remember I would keep in touch with the guys at the works department. If you dropped in with a box of donuts, you were a hero. But many of them, even over those two years, they would reach out to me when they were struggling, believe it or not, with their marriage. I'm only 21 years of age. Now, I can't give them marriage counseling, but I could point them to the truth of God's Word what the Word of God says about their marriage and about their family. And they would be reaching out to me to meet together for a coffee. The last Sunday of my internship, I had the opportunity to preach in the morning service. Unbeknownst to me, and the church was fairly full, except the front rows because it was a Baptist church. (laughs) Unbeknownst to me, eight of those men at the works department, with their spouses and with their children, showed up for church. And of course, they had to walk all the way down to the front and sit in the front. And let me tell you, the people in our church, you could see some of the, I was up sitting up on the stage, some of the looks on their faces, why are these men, you know, they had a bit of a reputation in town, and it wasn't good, and yet they showed up for church. And it just hit me, the way we do our daily work, we are called to be what? Ambassadors for Christ. God's left us here for a greater purpose. After we were saved, he could have chosen to take us right home to heaven. But he hasn't. He's left us here to be ambassadors for Christ. And in that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, we are entrusted with two things as ambassadors. What are they? The ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. We don't save anybody. God does. But God delights in using us, even in the way we just do our daily work, to win the respect of those who do not yet know Christ. What's the ministry of reconciliation? I call that the clear, visual demonstration of your faith in Jesus. What is the message of reconciliation? It's the concise, verbal declaration. A clear, visual demonstration and a concise, verbal declaration. And both are 
absolutely vital. But ultimately, it's not enough just to give the clear visual demonstration because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? By the word of truth, by the word of God. So ultimately, we have to speak the gospel as well. We live the gospel, and we speak the gospel. And it's my prayer in my personal life and for your life that we would live our lives in such a way as ambassadors for Christ, representing Christ and his kingdom here on earth, that God would give all of us ongoing, incredible opportunities. I love what Paul says in, in Acts chapter 20. Just let me read verse 24. Uh, I've preached through this passage before. It's where Paul calls the uh, leaders of the church at Ephesus to come down to Miletus because he was sailing, didn't want to spend time in Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem, wanted to get there by Passover, calls the elders to come down, and he gives them some significant words that they need to take note of about the church. I call it a sermon saturated with significant statements. And in verse 24 is one of those statements. He says this, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to what? Finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And what was that task? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I was talking to an older lady this morning on my drive-in. She's one of my prayer warriors from Ottawa. I call her pretty well every Tuesday on my drive-in. We have about 15 minutes together. She's praying for this time right now. I know that. And she said, I want to die with my boots on. She's such a passionate servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she wants to continue to testify to the gospel of God's grace up until her very last breath. Number four, we'll land the plane here. If we're going to stay strong and go long, fourthly, we need to guard our will, or I would say guard our very souls. In Ephesians 6, you know the passage well, verses 10 through 18, Paul talks to us about the armor of God. Let me just read a couple of verses at the front end. Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand firm. We've got to guard our will or guard our very souls. We are commanded in the Bible to love God with what? Heart, soul, strength, and mind. What I've discovered in my life personally, sometimes Satan will attack my mind. The very things I'm commanded to love God with are the very things that Satan attacks. Sometimes he'll attack my mind and my heart, my emotion at the same time. Sometimes he'll attack all four. Those ones are brutal. And that's why we desperately need daily to pray on the full armor of God before we start our day. In my last church, I had a, a husband and a wife who were actually using their retirement uh, over, it's already been five years, they took early retirement. Both of them worked over 30 years in the military, served our country well, saw active duty in Afghanistan and other countries. They were on the front lines. And they took an early retirement, full pension, and they spend six to nine months every year serving at a children's home in Honduras. That's the way they want it. They said, we don't want to walk on the beach. <laughs> they do like walking on the beach. But they said, we want to use our retirement as long as God gives us health and strength to serve others. And they don't have to raise any support just for some special projects. But they fund their own way. 
And when I think about the armor of God, what uh, the gentleman did, he actually ordered for our church these little medallions. And on the front, it says, put on the whole armor of God. And it's got the name of the church and the scripture reference. And then on the back, it lists all the pieces of armor. I keep one of these in my car right down. Just I can see it when I'm driving. I keep one on my desk in my office here. And my heart is to remind myself every day before I leave my home to pray on the full armor of God. Could you imagine one of those brave soldiers in our military? Say they were on the front lines in Afghanistan. They decided they were going to leave the base of Kandahar and thought, you know, this morning I'm, I'm just going to wear my civilian clothes. I'm not going to carry the weapon that the military's provided for me. I'm not going to ride in the armored vehicle. I'm just going to walk ahead of my platoon and I'm going to face the enemy. What would you call that soldier? Absolutely foolish. Well, a good soldier's not going to do that. So why do we leave our homes in the morning and we don't take the time to prepare ourselves for the day ahead? Praying on the full armor of God, most of the pieces of armor listed there are what? For our protection, a shield, a helmet, you know, a belt. They're for our protection. But there's two pieces of armor that are offensive. The sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. And it says, prayer on all occasions. So I encourage you, not only pray on the full armor of God every day before you leave your home, but if it means you've got to get up extra early, take some extra time every morning in the Word of God and time in prayer. And then go out and face your day. Now I know environment here is a little bit different than going out into the world, but we still go out into the world, and we need to pray it on. Here's how I remember to pray on the full armor of God before I leave my home in the morning. After I shower in the morning, my clothes are laid out for me in the bathroom. My wife does that for me, mainly because early on in our marriage, I walked into the church office one day. The uh, secretary, thankfully, we had a good relationship. She didn't say to me, you know, good morning, Pastor Godfrey. How are you? How was youth group last night? Do you know what she said to me? First words out of her mouth. You dressed yourself this morning, didn't you? (laughs) I'm not ashamed to tell you that. And I did, because color coordination for me, totally useless. Jeans and a T-shirt, no problem. Okay? This was laid out for me. I wouldn't know what to wear. I'm useless when it comes to this. When I used to travel with the central region of the fellowship, I'd be gone for four or five days. My wife would actually pack my suitcase. She would layer every outfit with a sticky note on top of each outfit. Here's what you wear Friday night to the banquet. Here's what you wear Saturday morning to teach those workshops. Here's what you wear on Sunday morning to preach. Okay? Not ashamed to tell you that. She makes me look good. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got to put these physical clothes on every day. So after I get out of the shower and I start dressing myself, I strive to pray on the full armor of God. That works for me. And then I strive to spend some time in the Word of God and prayer before I leave my home. I encourage you, find some way that works for you. But if you're going to go long and stay strong, we desperately need every day to pray on the full armor of God. we got to guard our will or guard our very souls. Because Satan absolutely hates us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But isn't it wonderful to know greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world? My heart for you, my heart for all of us, is that we would stay strong and we would go long in our journey with Jesus. We would finish, and we would finish well for the glory of God. We would guard our ways or our daily walk We'd guard the words that come out of our mouths. We would guard the way we do our everyday work. And then we would guard our will, our very souls. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. It's so relevant. 
It's so practical and so applicable to our everyday lives. And Father, I would pray that as a result of our time in your word together this morning, that again, as we've been hearers of the word, we would strive to be the men and women of God that you want us to be, that we would be known as those good men and those good women. And Lord, our lives would exemplify clearly what it means to be a true and passionate follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for protection for my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, Lord. And my heart is, no matter our age, that we would give the rest of our lives for your honor and your glory. And we would hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. We love you. We give you thanks for your provision. In Jesus' name, amen.